meeting is being recorded. Hello, this is Emily Anderson and Maya Horton with the Higher Education Chronicles podcast. Maya and I will be talking today about the article entitled Avoiding an All or Nothing Approach to Your Career from Inside Higher Ed, as well as the article entitled Confronting the Nameless Space faceless, a dual ethnography of navigating turnover and early career socialization. And um, we, we're going to be discussing methods to avoid burnout and our personal in approaches to navigating institutional stakeholders using, using the knowledge gained in our previous course. So to start off, we wanted to talk a little bit about our uh, personal job selection processes for um, after we exit our graduate program right now. Um, so my, my, my first question uh, to Maya is, does your job selection process revolve primarily around location, institutional type, position, or around finances? Thank you, Emily. So as I was thinking about this question, I wish it would, I, I was leaning more towards institution and then position. But then as I like started to dissect my own thoughts, I was like, no, it's a little bit of everything. And like, let me elaborate on what, where my mind frame was when I was thinking about this. And I think it was while taking Oregon Gov this semester that like, I was really able to kind of dissect my own values and prioritize what was important to me in regards to an institutional structure and specifically what I was looking for that better that aligned with my overall perspective and outlook um and I felt as though taking this course in Oregon Gov really revealed to me that institutional type is probably the number one thing in the sense that I think a lot of my radical ideations of change and innovation specifically within the framework of higher education has a lot to do with my own personal stance and my racialized identities and my identity as a woman, my identity as a gay woman. And I think a lot of that has to do with needing to align with the more progressive as well as research-based space. Um, but primarily because I think my professional development needs to also align with my personal development. And in that I have found that I thrive more in smaller institutional spaces where I wear more hats, but it's it's a more of a horizontal, um, horizontal expertise of, of, of power as well as responsibility rather than a top-down approach. For me, because I think though it could be strenuous for someone else of wearing a lot of different hats, I think I thrive in having my engagement and my passion overall. So I think it aligns in a lot of different areas of my life, just like holistically speaking. So I don't know if that answers the question, but for me, I it definitely think does. like working in an institution that aligns with my values of like, this is deeper than just the classroom because the formal classroom, in my mind, it goes beyond that. Like to me, life is the classroom. And I think you can't show up in a space as formally structured as a classroom without showing up authentic and genuinely holistically as yourself. And I just think throughout the course of this program specifically, and in this, or rather this Oregon Gov class, I've just really like started to like 
dissect that thought and just really think about like why this is so important to me. And it's because my engagement has a lot to do with my want and my capacity and ability to, to innovate change. And in order to do that, I've realized that like, I can't just do that with one in one space of, of area of responsibility because I'm more multifaceted than that. So um, yeah, that's just, that's how. Yeah. <clears throat> to me, what I'm hearing what, is kind of the intersection between this this institutional type and the position where you wanna be able to have, wear, wear lots of different hats, but also have um, your positionality at like and and the intersectional identities that you hold be a, a thing that's of value to the institution um, and have that be recognized by the institution. Um, yeah, for me, I, I, I feel that it the question revolves mostly around um, the position. Um, I mm. kind of would like to, so it, it, it basically it has to be enough reason for me to leave my current position. And I do not mm. like my job, um, but it is consistent. Um, it is enough money to, for me to survive. And if I were to move elsewhere, I would be able to keep the job and work remotely from anywhere. And so mm -hmm. even though I don't feel passionately about my position, the location side and the finance side, those are pretty much off the table. And then it goes back to institutional type and then um, the, the type of role that I would have. Um, if, if I were mm -hmm. to move into higher education, I would likely have to start over um, basically in my career and enter into an and enter into an entry level position um, and that that also comes with um, its own baggage in a way mm -hmm. um, the inside higher ed article had a it centered around a, this um, work breakdown activity um, so it was discussing uh, disrupting the all or nothing approach um, to minor experiences for insights about your needs, your values, and your possible futures. So the exercise included breaking down the individual tasks that make up a project and then sorting them based off of confidence and then based off of enjoyment. So the idea of selecting the perfect job would be uh, something where you're doing a lot of the tasks that bring you both confidence and enjoyment, unless you are searching for potentially something that would be more challenging for you. Um, so what one thing that I um, was thinking of when I was kind of uh, thinking about this uh, exercise kind of um, in a higher level was I was thinking about what what would be the perfect job for me? You know, I don't know that there is one where where mm -hmm. each of those tasks is prioritized. And then it goes back to the whole question of finances, institutional type just that so many things have to fall into place so perfectly. And so I found the article to be um, interesting in that it, it helped uh, prioritize some of the tasks that I'd like to do day to day. However, it also was kind of frustrating because what what would be the perfect position and we're when we're talking about um, using passion and um, a desire to improve an institution as motivation mm -hmm. to keep going um, and, and as a method of avoiding burnout just makes me wonder like if you can't find the perfect position does how does that work um, so I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that as well yeah I think there was one part in the article that like really resonated with me in connection to um, the topic that we're speaking on right now and it was talking about like taking from taking your list of tasks, like taking one, two or three of them and identifying like, if you had to do these three tasks, 
every day for the rest of your like workday life, so to speak, what are the tasks that you would want to do? And I think for me, this was, this was really insightful because I think though I'm confident in many different areas of my um, work life, I think when it came to enjoyment, that, that was where um, I, I really had to like go back and, and, and think about where I, I got my enjoyment from and in and, and these tasks and why that was. Um, so for me, I definitely think that it was, it was, it was, transformative in the sense of like wow like if I could think about three tasks and it was very interesting because all three tasks that I indicated on were had to do with autonomy creativity um and a non-restriction to the status quo which in so many words was was innovational change and I just I really thought about the position that I'm in currently and like how much that's stifled by this this space of, or this concept within our society of quote unquote paying our dues. And for me, I just really thought about like how I've been raised on this ideology of, you know, you kind of have to, to look at an area of your position that you enjoy and that's kind of the driving force and the task that you don't enjoy. But like how much within our competitive and individualistic society how much that's really like catered to my burnout and and why I've needed to navigate spaces like being in the business sector and and transitioning into the tech informational systems space and now in education and I think a lot of it has to do with can I really get all the things that I desire in in the pleasure of enjoyment of which I I need in a space. And sometimes I wonder, could I, can I do that without having to almost create a space on my own? I don't know Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Um, because I just don't see one. And I, and especially like within Westernized culture, it's very much so like having to kind of navigate in limbo until you really get to, to a position or a space of which you, you desire. So, Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and then it's it's just determining if that space even exists in the first place. And if you have to, mm-hmm. if it doesn't exist yet, if you can make it on your own or not. Um, yeah, one thing that, that really stuck out to me when you were talking was, it seems like this, um, this exercise kind of helped you determine or, or reminded you perhaps of the aspects of your job that you're, you're passionate about and the things that you're mm-hmm. excited about. Um, the The one thing that I found a little bit frustrating about the article was that uh, it, it to me it kind of um, conflated passion with a lack of burnout and mm. that's not what I see um, especially I mean in activist spaces there is a really high amount of burnout mm-hmm. and I would say that those who dedicate their lives to activism are some of the most passionate people I know Mm-hmm. And so to me, that just doesn't add up where it's it, the, it, I, kind, I kind of got the idea that job selection is a burnout preventer. Um, and in some aspects, I can see that, but also in other aspects, I think that passion can also um, 
put a lot of burden on people as well, um, especially people with marginalized identities and putting a lot mm -hmm. of that weight on their shoulders. Um, and so, yeah, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about that as well. No, I think that's a good point. And I'm really thinking about it in the context of like our Oregon governance class of, we talked about student activism um, as an area topic, but I also like am now thinking about like what and how to maneuver my activism from a student to a higher ed practitioner. I mean, I and think I the think answer to that question comes within the question itself of what is activism and, and what counts as activism because mm -hmm. the act of entering into higher ed with the motivation to make changes I think it is is a form of activism um, and so I would say that you're already activated yeah I I think that's a good point I'm just I think where I was going with that point though is just I've seen a lot in my colleagues um, this the space of the activism that we had when we were in undergrad or, and even to reminisce about it to like where we are now and even having certain challenges and obstacles of the company or, or organizational culture around how to navigate activism as you progress throughout your career. And I think that's a space of contention for me because I haven't always done it right. And I've unfortunately had to suffer the consequences of that. But then also, I think for me, it's the dichotomy between why am I being punished at a more visceral level, at least in my opinion, than that of my counterpart who also is, is an activist in their own right of how they would identify, mm -hmm. at least like in my like professional space, like that's one that's hard for me. And I almost wish that there was more mentorship in, in not just tolerance of, of equality and of, of that space, but also like celebration and proactivity around it. Yeah, I think with the proactivity piece, I, I feel like um, activism, like I was catered to as a, mm -hmm. as a college, as an undergraduate student, like there, when I joined the institution, one of the, the, the only student organization that was of interest to me was an activism organization. And all I had to do was show up. They taught me everything I needed to know. And mm. that doesn't happen on your first day of work at Loyola is where they teach you everything you need to know about being an activist. Um, and it's difficult to find a mentor um, within the space, especially when mentorship can be such um, a complicated issue too with determining what, it, what is mentorship, what different kinds of mentorship are, are best or what, what works for everybody here. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting point you make. Yeah, I think also like the lack of, I don't want to say publicized activism, right? But like also just even having to cultivate these connections with folks within your space on a more personal level to even be able to gauge the safety of, of your activism. I think especially for me, like being someone who has 
such apparent intersectional identities, sometimes I think it's very hard for me to navigate a space where I don't feel like I'm, I'm a token, where I'm being capitalized off of my, my suffering or of my experience, but then also like really finding safe havens of, or not even safe havens, but like the mentorship aspect of someone looking out for you, someone keeping an eye on you, someone checking in on you. And like, I just, that area I seem, I feel as though has, is lost within certain professional fields, especially within education, I feel. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like I've had to go above and beyond to push myself out of my comfort zone because no one else is gonna do it for me. And then also my mom has a saying that's closed mouths don't get fed. And if mm -hmm. you're having an issue, you know, it's it, though it might sound a bit aggressive or blatant, I think that there is something to be said about you really have to, you get what you put into it. And sometimes it's just that act of having agency or advocating for yourself in, in a space where you might be, feel challenged in order to know or to feel um, a community or, or even a slight support. So yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like prolonged on that, but yeah, just as you were saying something, it just made me think about it too, of like the secrecy around having to like hide your struggles or hide the area that you have an interest in, which for this context to a point would be activism and like- mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so let's move into our, our second and final question. Um, this question is, what have you realized about higher education after this course? Oof. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you want me to start? Yes, I think you should. This is a loaded Absolutely. question. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the biggest thing that I learned through this course and something that just kept, I was reminded of every single time we had class was higher education is an organization in the same way that the real estate company that I work for is an organization mm -hmm. and entering higher education is not really leaving the corporate world in the way that I had kind of hoped. Um, and something that highlighted this to me was um, the uh, article by Dimitri Morgan um, that they, they discussed at one point the nameless faceless boss. So um, Dimitri and Norma were having a conversation and they discussed um, Dimitri was saying, I don't really have a supervisor in the same way that, that you would in the corporate world. And Norma made a great point that was your boss is your ability to complete research, service, teaching. Um, it's not a person per se, but it's a calling. Um, and Dimitri had this quote, um, people usually say people don't leave jobs, they leave supervisors. But what you're saying is that people don't leave jobs, they leave expectations or unclear rules. And so that really made me think about um, how a, a lack of clear expectations, unclear hierarchy, difficulty pinning down exactly whose job it is to do certain things, holding people accountable. Those are all, all some of the aspects of my job that I hate the most. Um, and when I see that like discussions of climate equity and like we, we had a discussion in class about who who is responsible for that well if it's mm -hmm. not the student workers and it's not the president well is it the president who knows uh, but if those conversations are happening in classrooms 
you know, who, how are we supposed to hold people accountable within the larger organization? So yeah, what, what I just kept being reminded of class after class was um, that higher education is an organization, but just like in the same way that businesses are organizations, um, mm -hmm. I had often kind of conflated it more with local government, um, but it's, it, you just get reminded all, over and over in higher education um, that it's a business, that money is the driving factor and that that's what matters the most. Yeah, Emily, I think it's, this one's a hard one for me to answer because I think being someone who left the business sector, because in my opinion, it, it was too much of feeding a machine and not enough of capitalizing or focusing on the human capita. I think that that's what makes it hard for me is because there is such like, my brain on autopilot is very practical, very functional, very logical, very problem solution oriented. So I think sometimes it's hard for me because I feel as though I went through an experience in my life where it was, you know, answering the calling, so to speak, um, to Demetrius Morgan's point in the article or in Nora's like, Norma's rather, excuse me, um, of answering a calling or a purpose. But I think that's when it begins. <laughs> I don't think that there's enough conversation around the burnout of teachers and of, of education and of it as not just the organization, but as the system functioning and breathing and, and fueling every day in and day out. And I think that's the part for me that I trip up on, I guess, because mm -hmm. I see now more than ever, especially given, you know, the last two and two, two and a half years of, of this pandemic, how much further higher ed is moving in terms of functioning like a quote unquote corporation. And I think something that I fight for in my space of higher education is, is keeping the humanistic aspect because a huge part of what we saw in the economy in the last two or three years is people, is this great resignation, right? Like people leaving in, in boatloads because it's not just about their, we, it's not just about the ability to live to work, but the ability to work in order to live. And I just feel like that's an area that I, I think education, but specifically higher education as a whole has always pushed that needle in terms of seeking a, a higher and greater knowledge that mm -hmm. like, in order to do that, you need human connection. In order to do that, you need collective engagement. And I just feel like that's the part of the business sector that I just, I, I, I worry for in higher education mm -hmm. because I just feel like you can't forget about the humanistic experience of, of the, the folks who show up every day, right? Like mm -hmm. the faculty, the staff, the student, and like, though we're At the same there. time, I see this like general sense of obligation. And I feel that same like sense of mm. obligation, but it, it kind of lacks specificity, specificity at times where it's like, the goal is Ooh. fuck capitalism, dismantle the patriarchy. Okay, like step one, please. Um, and so <laughs> it just feels like, if this lack of specificity in the in our sense of obligation just 
then the job's never done. It's never done enough, never achievable. Uh, doesn't that encourage burnout in itself? So I just wonder if that, that passion, unless it becomes more focused, unless we determine a, a, a path forward, it just becomes cyclical. Right. But see, in my view, I feel like that's the responsibility of, of the nameless and faceless boss, so to speak, right? Like how in order for there to be a set precedent, I feel like the tone needs to come from the top because I also feel as though there is this underlying non-transparent expectation that gets put on the worker bee, but like, what about the expectation? I feel like it's a lot of um, like, what about the expectation in reciprocity to that entity that is the nameless and the faceless boss. Like, I, I feel like there's not, I feel like it's a lot of, and I go back to this top down energy, but like, I think a lot more could be changed and reformed if there was more accountability from the bottom to the top. And I feel like- but Then again, it's, it's those nameless, faceless higher ups. I mean, it's the nameless, faceless boss, and then it's the nameless, faceless, around that and then it's the mm -hmm. nameless expectations that get you into a tenure track it's like mm -hmm. it, so if if accountability from the top down is the answer then who's the top and if it's not like set in stone what the expectations are can we really hold someone accountable for not meeting them like if the expectations aren't clear can we how, how do we hold people accountable and how do we prove to them that they're not doing enough and how do we, I mean, it just, it, it, I feel like it ends up being so, I just feel worried for the future because when I, when, I, when I think about these, the, these two articles and kind of their intersection, I think about, you know, is there a, a right position available to Emily Anderson specifically? I don't, I don't know, potentially there's a really perfect fit somewhere but is there a right position available for everybody? All, like everywhere, everyone everywhere gets their dream job. Like, is that is that realistic? Um, and if if love for the position is all it takes, then turnover should never exist. Burnout should not be a problem if we can put people in the right positions. But it just feels like these are these are large unanswerable questions at the end of the day. See, but my perception of that is 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 that burnout is, in my opinion, the trial and error of what is the attainability of of a dream job, right? Like, because I don't think that there is enough emphasis being put on. And see, this is where the spiritual element of me comes in of just development as a whole. Like, I think there's too much onus on on needing to figure everything out in a timely fashion when in reality, like it's gonna take trial and error in order for you to even know and navigate what is your quote unquote dream job. And I also think that like your growth and evolution, your dream job could, is always gonna change. Like, I don't think, I think the more you, the, the more you know, like the better you do. So I think you can't even happen to begin to be on a path of, enlightenment that is your dream job quote unquote without fully grasping and, and going through like the the growing pains of it right like i i don't think that that
just in the higher ed space even gets talked about enough is like this this thought of or this concept of like failing forward but that's You're ending like, us on, on a note of hope as always maya um <laughs> I, I think that, that 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 really brings it back to the Inside Higher Ed article and that that exercise that we talked about up top is maybe it's just a that, that this process needs to be repeated over and over until we finally get the the right tasks on our little post-it notes and, and and like you said hopefully it's a trial and error. That part I think it also just in closing re reiterates to me that like I'm in the right space at the right time in this moment for me in the sense of like, I want to always be learning and evolving. I don't have all of the answers. And though I sit at a place of more power in my professional position now in terms of like the students that I teach and mentor, I also think that, you know, like they teach me just, just as I do to them. So I also think that that's something of like, I never want to be done learning and I never want to be done just expanding knowledge and spaces. So yeah, I think that to tie into this article, I appreciate what I appreciated um, about the avoiding an all or nothing approach is that it's just that. It's, you, I don't know. I, I feel like just it's avoiding that everywhere. all or nothing, like, mm -hmm. because that's not realistic. You know, so how life works. That's, mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's all from us uh, with the Higher Ed Chronicles. I'm Emily. I'm Maya. Thank you all for joining us. Happy Taurus season. <laughs>